The following presentation is brought to you by the Realm Network. <laughs> ah, the boot kicked Bart. It kicked him right in the butt. <laughs> I think Bart and Lisa are feeling a little upset right now. Isn't there something you'd like to say? There sure is. Kids, you tried your best and you failed miserably. The lesson is never try. <laughs> right in the butt. <laughs> that was great. Sometimes when we watch something or read a story, we not only end up with a tale of adventure, we also end up learning valuable life lessons. Sometimes those lessons are obvious, like being kind to people or defending your loved ones. And sometimes those lessons are a bit more nuanced. The movies from Pixar Animation Studios have given world audiences many amazing adventures, and some of the lessons that these movies have given us are no less amazing. On this episode of ARC, I'm going to go over some of the unorthodox lessons the Pixar movies have brought the world over the past 20 years. Later on, I'm going to give my review and commentary on Pixar's latest theatrical release, Inside Out. This is ARC. God bless to the movies, the good movies, to every possible kind. Make it so. Where are my dragons? Nothing for you. Welcome to Earth. Stick around. No slices for white. Clever girl. And they mostly come at night. Mostly. I'm 37. Are you the key master? I'm Omar. Who the hell are you? Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Arts Review and Commentary. I'm your host, Omar Latiri, and thank you very much for listening. After listening to this episode, you may want to watch these movies and shorts that I will have talked about, and you can do so without delay by going to ARC's Amazon page. Click on the Amazon button at artsreviewandcommentary.com to enjoy a fast streaming experience from Amazon Instant Video, and you'll be helping me to produce free, on-demand entertainment. For the past 20 years, Pixar has been synonymous with entertainment that is engaging, smart, and beautiful to watch. It brought the wonders of computer animation to the big screen in a way that made audiences marvel at the technical prowess of its animators, individuals, it seemed, whose imaginations were no longer limited by traditional cell animation. Pixar became an overnight sensation with the release of the motion picture Toy Story in 1995, and since then, it has grown to a brand that has, to this date, 15 theatrical releases, 25 short films, all of which have earned Pixar 17 Academy Awards, including two nominations for Best Picture. Now, originally, this episode was going to go over every single one of Pixar's 15 theatrical releases, from Toy Story to Inside Out. Then, I read an article on Cracked.com, one of my favorite humor list sites. Many of the lists that the site publishes are amusing in a bawdy way, and you can't really take it that seriously. Many of their lists are about strange correlations and coincidences, and most are about pop culture. 
Recently, Cracked columnist Matt Cohen wrote an article entitled Eight Dark Life Lessons Kids Learn from Pixar Films, and the list was amazing. Inspired by that list, I decided to throw out my original plan and discuss some of these life lessons. Now, dark isn't the word I would use to describe all of these lessons. They're more harsh truths than anything else, but I can see why one would use dark to describe them. Pixar movies are, by and large, movies made for children. And, like most entertainment made for children, there are morals to the story. Sure, some are easy to comprehend. In WALL-E, the messages of environmentalism and physical health education aren't exactly subtle. And sometimes, the morals shown in the movie are just plain wrong. In Cars 2, the audience is supposed to be inspired by Mater's resolve to be himself, despite his flaws. Look, nobody takes me seriously. I know that now. This ain't Radiator Springs. Yes, it is. Look, you're yourself in Radiator Springs. Be yourself here. And if, if people aren't taking you seriously, then they need to change. Not you. I know that because I was wrong before. Now you can do this. You're the bomb. The trouble is that Mater's personality flaws are at the heart of the embarrassment and danger that he gets him and his friends into. It's one thing to have self-confidence in who you are, but when you don't realize that your limitations can have a detrimental effect on the people and situations around you, then that lack of self-awareness doesn't help anyone. It is no coincidence that Cars 2 is the lowest-rated Pixar movie ever released. Personally, it's not only my least favorite Pixar movie, but one of my least favorite movies ever. Look, I get that saying something like that is uncomfortable to hear, even cringeworthy. It comes off as elitist, and in a modern and tolerant society, it's disheartening to hear. It would mean that in order to accept that some individuals have limitations, it would mean conversely that others are exceptional. You mean you killed off real heroes so that you could pretend to be one? Oh, I'm real. Real enough to defeat you! And I did it without your precious gifts, your oh-so-special powers. I'll give them heroics. I'll give them the most spectacular heroics anyone's ever seen. And when I'm old and I've had my fun, I'll sell my inventions so that everyone can be superheroes. Everyone can be super. And when everyone's super... <laughs> no one will be. <laughs> 2004's The Incredibles featured a family of superheroes stymied by a society that didn't want any more superheroes around. It's an egalitarian ideal, to be sure. But what The Incredibles teaches us is that mandated equality comes at the expense of diminishing potential. I can't believe you don't want to go to your own son's graduation. It's not a graduation. He is moving from the fourth grade to the fifth grade. It's a ceremony. It's psychotic. They keep creating new ways to celebrate mediocrity, but if someone is genuinely exceptional, then This is not about you, Bob. This is about Dash. You want to do something for Dash? Then let him actually compete. Let him go out for sports. I will not be made the enemy here. You know why we can't do that. Because it'd be great! This is not about you! 
The issue of talent and its uses is echoed in the plot of another Pixar film, Ratatouille. Like The Incredibles, Ratatouille is directed by Brad Bird, whose movies acknowledge that there are those in the world with exceptional talent. In the past, I have made no secret of my disdain for Chef Gusto's famous motto, Anyone can cook. But I realize only now do I truly understand what he meant. Not everyone can become a great artist, but a great artist can come from anywhere. Critics of Brad Bird's movies like The Incredibles, 2007's Ratatouille, and 2015's Tomorrowland liken the ideals presented as similar to that of Ayn Rand's objectivism. Yes, there's a certain snobby undertone to these themes, but to call these movies Randian is short-sighted. Ayn Rand's philosophy was about furthering oneself without the constraints of government. In The Incredibles and Ratatouille, our characters weren't self-serving, but strove to create and innovate for the good of mankind. Now, that's not to say that his films didn't leave out important things to consider. Bird's films leave out two very important facets of talent and achievement. First is the potential emptiness that comes from being at the top. At the end of The Incredibles, notice how after Dash easily wins a school race, he jogs off the track with a smug look on his face. Dash is the fastest runner in his school, no doubt. But what would happen to his mentality after winning every race without even trying? What would Dash gain from effortless wins at trivial contests? Second, Bird's films do not focus on something that I found to be true in all people. That everyone is good in at least one thing if they try. For Linguini, the would-be chef in Ratatouille, it's roller skating. For Remy's father, it's leadership over an entire colony. No, not just anyone can cook, but everyone can do something well. And nowhere is this lesson more apparent than in Monsters University. Mr. Wazowski, what you lack is something that cannot be taught. You're not scary. You will not be continuing in the scaring program. Like I said, it's tough to be told that you're limited. We're taught to believe that we can do anything we set our mind to. Hell, in this country, one of our mantras is that in America, anyone can grow up to become president. But that simply isn't true. And it's tough to accept when you identify with individuals who have a life experience you want or admire. Hero worship, in particular, has its pitfalls, and it's also one of the life lessons that Carl learns in 2009's Up. Now, Up is one of those movies that I have trouble criticizing, not because the criticisms are unfounded, but because the movie is so beloved by so many that it's nearly impossible for anyone to accept the very real flaws of this film. As a matter of fact, the entire movie wouldn't have happened if Carl had done one simple thing and looked at his wife's book in the years they lived together. Up is memorable for precisely three things. 
Doug the dog's silliness. He made me this color so that I may talk. Squirrel. Kevin the bird's funny noises. Shoo, shoo, get out of here. Stop, beat it. But most of all, the movie is remembered for its heartbreaking first 10 minutes. That intro tells a love story full of poignant romance and sadness that is so complete and wonderful that the negatives of the rest of the movie are automatically forgiven by so many people. And what negatives, you may ask? Well, all right, fans of Up, can any of you tell me what's the name of the movie's antagonist? If you didn't answer immediately, if you had to struggle to remember the name of this movie's bad guy, then that's a flaw. The bad guy's name is Charles Muntz, voiced by Christopher Plummer, and he's part of the lesson that we learn in this movie. This is crazy. I finally meet my childhood hero and he's trying to kill us. What a joke. Like I said, hero worship can lead to pain when you inevitably discover that your hero isn't everything you thought they might be. It's a lesson that many of us learn when we're a bit older, but for all of its flaws, up at least has the boldness to address that to kids. Another thing that Up teaches kids is that growing up can be a very difficult thing to do. Yes, you may dream of adventures and have plans for excitement when you're a kid, but the reality is that life gets in the way. You can save and scrimp as much money as you can to take a vacation, but there may be occurrences that will force you to spend your savings. Home repairs, hospitalizations, debt, they can all prevent you from doing what you really want to do in life. But adventure is in the eye of the beholder, and that is a lesson that Carl, our elderly hero of Up, only learns at the very end of the movie. He learns to let go of his past so that he can concentrate on his future and find peace at last. It was very brave. Really? No, no. Well, not every bug would face a bird. I mean, even Hopper's afraid of him. Yeah, I I guess, you know, maybe I have it. Say that again? I said, even Hopper's afraid of birds. There are two lessons that are taught in both A Bug's Life and Finding Nemo. One, leaving the comfort of home to venture in the outside is exciting, dangerous, but worthwhile. And two... No matter how hard you may try, it's impossible to do everything yourself. Let's go over that first one. In Finding Nemo, Marlin, Nemo's father, is extremely protective of his son, and understandably so. A predator took his wife and all of his offspring from him except Nemo, so why wouldn't he want to keep his only remaining child safe? But as Marlin learns through his adventures with Dory through the movie... Careful supervision doesn't necessarily have to mean keeping a leash on those you want to keep safe. However, safety is extremely important in these dangerous worlds as sharks, jellyfish, pelicans, and seagulls all threaten to eat our heroes in Finding Nemo. Even the big scary grasshopper gang led by Hopper in A Bug's Life is afraid of birds, and that's a lesson that kids all should remember. There's always someone bigger and stronger out there, and they won't care how mean or nice you are. Which leads us to the second lesson. If you ever need to beat a bully, 
you probably won't be able to do it yourself. Either you get someone bigger than the bully to get on your side, or you team up with other like-minded individuals and collectively you can beat the bully. In A Bug's Life, the ants realize their collective potential along with their circus friends. In Finding Nemo, the aquarium friends all pitch in to encourage and save Nemo, and Marlin is helped by not only Dory, but tons of other sea creatures, including a whale. Without the help of so many individuals, there wouldn't have been a happy ending in these movies. When we come back, my review and commentary on Pixar's summer hit, Inside Out. Hey everybody, this is Adam Sharrock, co-host of the Gaming Marathon right here on the Realm Network. If you're a huge fan of video games, then this podcast is for you. Each week, myself and my co-host, Asad Syed, break down all of the gaming news that's trending at the time, as well as giving you in-depth reviews on all of the hot games that are out right now. If you're a fan of the PlayStation 4, Xbox One, Nintendo Wii U, gaming PCs, and handhelds, then you don't want to miss the Gaming Marathon. We drop one every single week, and it's an hour long of video game greatness. Check it out at RealmNetwork.com, and game on, baby! New episodes every Monday at RealmNetwork.com. Anyway, these are Riley's memories, and they're mostly happy, you'll notice, not to brag. But the really important ones are over here. I don't want to get too technical, but these are called core memories. Each one came from a super important time in Riley's life. Uh, like when she first scored a goal. Oh, that was so amazing. Each core memory powers a different aspect of Riley's personality. Like Hockey Island. Goofball Island is my personal favorite. Come back here, you little monkey. <laughs> yep, Goofball is the best. This is a masterpiece of storytelling, metaphor, and imagination. I cannot recall a movie that has so thoroughly captured and entertained both kids and adults alike and moved them all in such similar ways. Pixar has always been groundbreaking in terms of delivering fantastic CGI with imaginative stories, but since it seems like the limits of visual effects have been reached, how many now can tell the difference between practical and visual effects? Stories now rely on imaginative power to fuel their successes. Pixar has led the way of anthropomorphizing everything from toys to insects to cars and more, but they have truly outdid themselves with anthropomorphizing emotions. In the list of the most important movies ever made, I would like to submit Inside Out as not only one that belongs on that list, but one that will transcend generations now and in the future. It will be played in homes and airplanes and in the car. It will be played in psychology classes and film classes alike. There will be retrospectives on this masterpiece every decade, and kids who watch this movie today will remember joy and sadness with a fondness that 30-somethings and 40-somethings remember Elliot and E.T. the Extraterrestrial. 
This is one of those rare movies that makes you a better person for having watched it, and it makes the world a better place because of its existence. Why do I say this? I mean, it's not like Inside Out is an original concept. The 90s Fox show Herman's Head had an almost exact same premise, except the main character was an adult male and not a tween girl. But by distilling the complexity of human emotion into its most basic forms, namely joy, sadness, anger, disgust, and fear, the film clarifies the importance of each emotion in particular, and emotions in general. Joy is the main character, and rightfully so. Each of us in our lives wants to be happy and joyful, and we tend to want to spread that emotion to the people we encounter. Fear, disgust, and anger are presented as defense mechanisms meant to protect ourselves from physical and emotional harm. But what about sadness? What possible reason do we need to be sad? I mean, how often have you tried to comfort a sad person by saying, Don't cry, it's okay. Now I realize that when I'm sad, I don't want someone to tell me that my sadness is unnecessary. I want comfort. And that comfort comes from the validation of one's emotions. Think about it. Whenever you feel something, whether it's joy or anger or fear, one of the most hurtful things someone can do to you is to dismiss your emotional state as unwarranted. Can you imagine being happy about something and then being told, you shouldn't be happy about this? That kind of insensitivity is just as hurtful when it comes to someone who is sad. Feelings aren't positive and negative. They simply exist. It's what we do with those feelings that becomes good or bad. I'd like to think that I'm not an unemotional person. Hell, I just did an episode about 30 different emotions that certain movies evoke from me. But the revelation that this movie brings about how emotions can work to determine not only our behavior, but how our emotions can be influenced to elicit certain types of behavior is a very, very powerful one. Those of us who spend time on social media are often surrounded by people who seem to spend their lives in a constant state of outrage or self-pity, which themselves are focused forms of anger and sadness, respectively. These emotional states are used to elicit reactions from others. Too much exposure to a particular emotion can evoke a flight response. For example, if someone spends all their time being angry at the world, you don't particularly want to be around that person any more than you have to. We instinctively recognize the emotional imbalance that exists when one person is feeling a particular way just a little too much, even joy. But even in a balanced person, some of us still try to eliminate sadness as a legitimate expression, even though the desired result of that expression of sadness is something we all need, the validation of ourselves through comfort. Now what happens when emotions disappear altogether? Numbness comes from emotions that are taking a break. 
But there is a state of being that occurs when you just don't seem to experience any emotion. And that, my friends, is called depression. And no other movie has illustrated this concept so vividly than Inside Out. We need all our emotions with us. And we need them to validate our existence. We need them to survive and to communicate. We must be wary of people who would try to use our emotions to manipulate us into doing terrible things, and we must also be aware of our own abilities to do that to others as well. Now, some people are incapable of understanding that, but with the release of Inside Out, I know a lot of children and parents will be better able to navigate the emotional adventure known as life. Five out of five stars for Inside Out. This might be the best movie Pixar has made, and so far, it's the best movie of 2015. That's it for this episode of ARC. If you haven't already, like the show on Facebook at facebook.com slash arcreviews, follow the show on Twitter at arcreviews, and shop Amazon through artsreviewandcommentary.com. My name is Omar Latiri, and this is ARC. The preceding presentation was brought to you by The Realm Network. 